Ladies, a podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all around the world. We're your hosts. I'm Zoe. And I'm Lizzie. So how are you today, Zoe? I'm okay. Um, it is my sister's birthday today, so happy birthday, oh. Alice. It's not going to be her birthday when we release this episode, but on the Hi. day we <laughs> are recording, <laughs> happy birthday. Uh, happy birthday to her. Yeah, so that's fun. Pisces? Yes, Pisces queen. Yeah, so that's... The exciting thing going on. How are you doing today, Lizzie? I'm fine. I learned that my parents are getting the vaccine soon, so that's exciting. That's so exciting. Oh my gosh. Very. I won't be able to get it for a while since I'm mm-hmm. like abroad, but yeah. good for them. Yeah. I have no idea when I'm going to be able to get it, but like, I'm keeping an eye out whenever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hopefully sometime. Sometime before September would be great when yeah, I go back nice to school. For you. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, so <laughs> you did the research this week. Who are we talking about? Uh, so today we are going to be talking about Tlaxolteotla, who is a goddess from Aztec mythology. Ooh, she sounds fun. Mm-hmm. She is very fun. I'm excited to talk about her. Firstly, I have a little bit of context um, about Aztec culture around family and gender. Because it's a little different from the, like, Western European culture of family and gender. So according to Wikipedia, Aztec society was divided by gender roles, but no roles were treated as more or less important than others. So generally, warfare was the chief aspect of men's lives, but women's work uh, was seen as equivalent to warfare in certain ways and therefore equally as respected. So it said basically in, like, the Wikipedia article that I read that they were distinct roles but they were treated as distinct but equal to each other. So, like, all the different aspects of work were important. That's nice. Yeah. And women were able to own property, and inheritances were passed down to both daughters and sons, so there was that equivalence as well. Um, There are also multiple quote-unquote non-binary genders, and that's in quotes because the gender binary is a Western construct, and, of course, the Aztecs as a non-Western European society wouldn't adhere by that, but they were genders that weren't but male you can or view female. It that way, yes. Now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought that was very neat, and so I bring that up because Tlaxolteotl has a lot to do with the relationship between uh, gender roles in society and female roles in society. But let's start at the beginning. Who is she? So she is the Aztec goddess of vice, purification, lust, and filth. Huh. Um, she, okay. Yeah. So she is the patroness of adulterers, and she is associated with the 13th Tricena, or 13th day period of the Aztec sacred 260-day calendar. Just a fun fact. She was referred to... She's the patron of adulterers? Sort of, Yeah. She's referred to by three different names. Um, one of them is Tlahelkwani, which means she who eats filthy excrescence. 
Huh. Uh, la sole mequistli, which is the death caused by lust. And then we have Ishquina, who is the deity of cotton. She sounds so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot going on with her. And then Tlaxolteocle itself means filth deity. So she possibly originated as a Huastec deity and then was assimilated into the Aztec pantheon. And the Huastec people are a group of indigenous Mexicans who live in the Loa region of central Mexico. She was actually associated as a quadripartite, um, being represented by four sister goddesses. And this is specifically associated with her identity as Ishquina, um, as the deity of cotton. And so the four sister goddesses that made up this quadripartite were Tiakaban, um, which is the firstborn, Tiako, which is the middle sister, and Teakwich, the younger sister, and Shokotsin, who is the youngest sister. And so each goddess in this quadripartite represented the goddess at a different stage of life. So Shokotsin was the youngest aspect, and she was a flirtatious temptress. Teakui was the goddess of gambling and uncertainty as the second youngest goddess. Tiako was her in her middle age, and that was when she had the power to absorb sins of humans, which we're going to talk about in just a second. Tiakaban represents her old age, and she was a hag that preyed on children. Okay, so I know a lot of Aztec deities are represented in like their old, their older state. Is that also the case for her? I'm not exactly sure. I think she was mainly, or I think one of the like probably the biggest aspects that of her was Tiako, and you'll see that in just a second because we're going to be talking a lot about her power as a sin eater or the person who absorbs the sins of humans. Okay, and she was represented by the moon. Um, which so the cycle of sin and purification, and I'm guessing also the cycle of her movement through different identities as she was young and then grew old and then young again. And I have a quote which that said it was an illustration of the female capacity throughout her life to embody the sacred cycle of generation, death, and regeneration, and certainly lust, the drive for connection and regeneration is seated deeply in the female purview and here most obviously connects to lunar cycles. Oh, that reminds me of the fates from Greek mythology because they represented like the different ages, right? Yeah, they did. Um, they were like the went young to old, and that had to do with like their roles as either measuring or cutting the strings of life. Yeah, absolutely. So Tlaxotiotla was believed to encourage sinful desires in people, but she also purified and forgave those sins. So she was believed to cause disease in those who sinned, particularly STIs. And this uncleanliness existed on both a physical and moral level, and it could be purified by spiritual things like a rite of purification or a physical thing like a steam bath. So she had the ability to purify the sins, but only once, and so therefore people close to death were most encouraged to undergo purification rituals via her priests. And her priests would not only listen to and pardon sins, but also found adulterers who had not confessed their sins and brought them forward for public punishment. And then in Aztec culture, adultery was punishable by death, but that sentence could be escaped by confessing sins. However, again, you could only do that once, so they put it off as long as they could, and probably until, again, the sins were brought into the public eye, and then they kind of had no choice. Why only once? Um, I think it's just, like, I, I, I don't know. I'm guessing, like, it's, you know, you have one shot to, like, purify yourself. And I think, again, it's just sort of, like, generally supposed to be an end-of-life thing. Um, but if you, okay. like, really mess up, then you have to, like, do it earlier. And then I guess you just have to try not to mess up again. So, like, you get one shot. 
Okay. Uh, so the sins are symbolized by dirt, and she was said to purify people by ingesting their dirt or sin, and she was often depicted with black lips to symbolize this power. Yeah, and they were covered with bitumen, which is the byproduct of decomposed organic materials, and unmarried girls would sometimes chew it in public to represent their closeness to Tlatzotiotla. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So I also believe that she was associated with the creation of poisonous creatures, such as snakes, centipedes, and scorpions. So various myths from across Mexico and Central America describe a story in which these creatures were born after an illicit affair between a man and a woman. And then Tlatzotiotla is also shown in a cosmic diagram of around the western section where these creatures were also shown to have come from. Due to her connections with illicit sexuality and also associations with filth, and these creatures were considered filthy and dirty, I believe these associations make a lot of sense. So. Wait, so people sinned and then yeah, so, scorpions, etc. came into being. Yeah, so basically the story is that there was like an illicit affair between a man and a woman, and the woman gave birth to like centipedes and scorpions and stuff. Oh, okay. And that's how they like came into existence. And since she has, like, this connection in, like, the drawings and also because she's associated with adultery and affairs and also with filth in general, um, I think it makes sense. Like, I'm, I think that, like, she was probably, like, the driving force behind the affair that brought those creatures into being. Makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she was also celebrated at the Aztec Purification Festival of Ochpanisli. This festival was celebrated in September in honor of the harvest season, and it featured ritual sweeping, cleaning, and repairing. She was often depicted with a broom that represents this festival and ritual cleaning, and she was also depicted with a conical hat, which is style is indigenous to the region. I just thought that was fun. And the festival was, was associated with the Aztecs' war with the Kolwa people, which is brought on by a moment when they kidnapped and ritually sacrificed the Kolwa leader's daughter to honor Huitzilopochtli, who is the sun god and the god of sacrifice in Aztec mythology. And this war was really important because it actually eventually led to the settling of Tenochtitlan, which is an important seat of power in the empire. It's the place that's now known as Mexico City is very significant. Mm -hmm. And then the figure of the daughter that was sacrificed is equated with Tlaxotiotla, and the events leading up to this war are reenacted every year at this festival as well. And so through this story, Tlaxotiotla is conceptualized into Aztec leadership genealogy as an important ancestor and served as a divine role model for the leading woman in Aztec society. So she kind of... Okay, so she, so, she served as a role model. Yeah. Interesting, mm-hmm. because she's like the goddess of filth. Yeah, well, she's the goddess of filth, but she also is the goddess of purification. She's the goddess who like causes sin, but she also cleans the sins. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And Continue. She, yes. <laughs> And she is also connected with childbirth and new life and considered to be the patron goddess of midwives, sometimes portrayed in art as a woman giving birth to a baby or in a squatting position like a woman about to give birth. So I have another quote, which is Tlatzotiotla's role as an earth goddess or fertility deity also makes sense when one interprets the filth associated with her as rotting organic matter and that her connection to childbirth is symbolic of new life, sort of death and rebirth. She was also connected with women who died in childbirth. Ooh, like last episode. Yes. Yes. I hadn't even made that connection, but yes. So those who <laughs> I mean, died... Quite different, I think. Yes. Because um, the Pontianat turned into a ghost. Yeah, so I think... And killed people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I think as I'm about to say, you'll see they had a pretty different view of women who died in childbirth in 
Interesting. Um, as okay. So those who died and were deified were known as Siwate Teo. And um, in the, their graves, uh, there were figurines of Tlaxolteotla that were often buried with these women after their deaths. So it's clear that she was, like, looking out for them and, like, sort of watching over them. Oh, that's nice. Um, and this connection may be linked to her common depiction as a sacrificial victim. So women who died in childbirth were sometimes equated with warriors who had died in battle or people who had died by sacrifice. So it was a very honorable way to die um, in childbirth because... That's, yeah, that's quite different, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's why really I say nice, very different, yeah, uh, than the Pontiana is that, like, um, it's sort of similar to um, how sort of women were viewed in Sparta in ancient Greece, is that, like, women dying in childbirth was equivalent to men dying in battle. It was, like, a very noble sacrifice to make for, like, the good of the empire. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And Tlatzotiotla was also sometimes depicted as the mother of various gods. So these included Ehekatla, who is the wind god, and she's depicted giving birth to him in a portrait. Also, Sentiotla, who is the god of maize and one of the most important gods in Aztec mythology. And also, again, the sun god, Huitzilopochtli, is often viewed as either her son or her husband. So she has associated with some really important gods in Aztec mythology. And... Speaking of the fates, she was also associated with cotton, as well as cotton picking and textile making. And this goes back to her, one of her names as Ishquina, which means the deity of cotton. Wait, so what's the connection with the fates? Oh, well, it's textile making, so like spinning web thread and stuff. Oh, yeah. okay. And this was likely due to her Huastec origins, as cotton was a huge part of Huastec agriculture, and dyed cotton textiles were one of their main trade goods. And the spinning of cotton and weaving of textiles was a very important task, often performed by women and overseen by the goddess La Soltiotla. And her headdress often included bundles of unspun cotton. And so this sort of ties back to what I said about, like, women's roles being separate but important. And that, like, the spinning of cotton was very important, even and, but it's a specifically women's task, generally. Mm-hmm. And weaving also had an erotic con- connotation, um, I feel like... Yeah, we saw this yeah. in um, a previous episode. I yeah. Don't know which one it was right I now. I think you mentioned it um, in uh, the Shochiketsu episode. Love Goddess is one, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you mentioned yeah, yeah, that yeah. Uh, sex workers were often associated with weaving in Aztec society. Yes. So yes. it was often viewed as a metaphor for sexuality with, like, um, the various parts of, like, the loom being associated with, like, genitalia and stuff, you know fun stuff like yep. that mm-hmm. yep got it <laughs> and i have one more quote um which is about the glyph for the section of the aztec sacred calendar associated with Tlatzotiotla, which depicts two snakes which one is flesh and one is in spirit and it says in this image she is the cycle of death and life of death feeding life of life cycling to death the twin snakes encapsulate olan the movement of life Tlatzotiotla is the provoker and the partner, the active female principle, and the continual cycle of death and life. So we can see that she's a very cyclical goddess, and she's definitely a goddess that's made up of a lot of different dualities. Like, you know, she's the goddess that um, embodies sin, but also purification. She embodies death in some ways, but also life in a lot of ways, as she's associated with childbirth and also those who died in childbirth. And then she's associated with sexuality, which is also associated with life. 
And then hmm. she's also associated with a lot of different warrior aspects. And this is all from the article, Why Give Birth to Enemies, the Warrior Aspects of the Aztec Goddess Tlatzotiotla Ishquina by Guilham Olivier. So Tlatzotiotla is associated with two animals that represent warriors in Aztec culture. She's the patroness of the jaguar, and one of her calendrical names translates to one eagle. So she's often portrayed in an aggressive stance, sometimes with spears or arrows or other weapons, and she's often depicted in some artwork capturing a child. And this could represent the Nahuatl belief that birth was a form of battle and the successful birth of an infant was comparable to capturing an enemy. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so, again, we see that association with birth compared to battle and giving birth as compared to being a warrior. Question. Yes. She was depicted with armor, but that was a metaphor? Or what, did she actually go into battle? So she was off, wasn't really depicted with armor, but sometimes she had, like, weapons, like spears or arrows. Oh, oh okay. Um, and then sometimes she was shown, like, capturing a child, like she was capturing an enemy. So it was more of, like, a visual thing, or, like, did she attack people, like... Um, I think it's believed to be more of a visual thing. Um, and a Got metaphor. Okay, that's what I was thinking. I mean, I think it's, like, not known for sure, but, like, I think that's the, the guess. Okay. Um, and so actually, in general, there was a close relationship between a captor and a captive emphasized during war. So male warriors would often refer to the warriors they captured as their sons. And there was also a similar relationship between the sacrificial victim and the person performing the sacrifice. So again, hmm. that comparison between war and sacrifice to birth. And brooms were s- that were associated with her purification rituals were also associated with war and there were bloody fights with brooms that occurred during the Ochpanistli festival. And according to some sources, it was considered bad luck to have a broom in your house because of that association. So were brooms not a common household item? I guess not. Interesting. I guess they were just sort of used with the purification rituals. And she was also said to be the goddess of discord as well, um, the type that led to war, and rituals at the festival demonstrated her power to cause war between groups. So she was paralleled in many ways with the god of death, life, and rebirth, who is Shipe Totek. And their main similarities were they were often associated with wearing flayed skins, and they represented similar groups of people. So, for example, Shipe Totek represented those who died in battle, and she represented women who died in childbirth. And they often wore similar headdresses. War was also associated with sexuality in some instances. So when soldiers died in battle, it was said that they had, quote, made love with Tlatzecotli, who is the earth god. Um, Interesting. And so this unifies Tlatzecotli's associations with war and sexuality in a very literal way. And Nahuatl culture also associated birth with death. So the word used to describe giving birth literally translates to time of death, which I thought was super interesting. And to this day, Nahuas from Sinacapan use a phrase to mean she is dead at the moment a mother finishes giving birth to a child. Root words for pregnancy were associated with death, and the period in which a woman was pregnant was described as the child still being in the place of the dead. So it could be said that through childbirth, pregnant women fought to capture a soul from the dead and brought it into the world. And then that also links together Tlatzotziotl's associations with both life and death and the cycle of life, death, and rebirth. It's really interesting. Yeah. Through these associations, it shows that life and death were viewed as inextricable and always connected. There were no clear lines between the two, but both were always influencing the other. And I thought Did they have cool. an underworld? 
They did have an underworld. I'm not sure exactly like what it was like, but they did have a god of the underworld and they also had a goddess of the underworld, which I believe we talked about in our very first themed episode, Woman of the Underworld. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) All the way back in October. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what are your thoughts on Tlaxo Tiozla? Well, I think she's fascinating. I I can't think of like an equivalent in like other cultures, except for I mentioned the fates, but that's only kind of. Mm-hmm. Like she's the goddess of vice, purification, lust, and filth. Mm-hmm. I feel like lust that makes sense, but mm-hmm. the rest, the other ones, I don't think I've ever seen for a deity before. Yeah, so that's really interesting. I also think that her main thing being, like, sin and, like, purification is really unique. And it's, like, a little bit, like, because she causes sin, but she also purifies sin, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting. I don't quite know what to make of it because, I mean, I kind of feel like she's creating problems only to solve them, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Also, do you know like what what were sins in as the Aztec world like? Um, so I don't know. So all I know is that like the sexuality was generally seen as kind of like a dirty thing. Like okay. it's seen as necessary, but at a high risk of danger and pollution, and there's a high level of shame associated with it. Basically, it's believed to make the body filthy and contaminated. So like sexuality was definitely viewed as like a sort of shameful thing um although like not necessarily i mean like they understood it was necessary for reproduction but like they were like do you really have to you know like what i mean and again adultery uh, into it they weren't like super into it um and also like adultery was associated with uh well adultery was punishable by death so that was obviously a big thing i don't know like all the other details of things that would be considered sins i think there are many things that um might have been considered sins now that wouldn't have been considered sins then and vice versa um you know probably like some sort of disloyalty um in battle or whatever but like yeah okay Mm -hmm. but i think her main stuff associated with sin was probably like sins of sexuality and stuff yeah that's what i was kind of thinking Mm -hmm. so so you mentioned that sexuality is associated with sin and also with, like, life and birth, and also with war, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. I mean, we kind of saw this, the association between sexuality and war in, like, the Inanna episode. Yeah. She was both a love goddess and a, like, warrior, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. So that's not, like, a shock, because we've seen that before, but it's still really interesting, because sexuality is associated with, like, positive things and negative things and like rebirth and like yeah yeah absolutely so that's interesting mm-hmm. also you mentioned the moon but you only mentioned it briefly so was that like not like a huge symbol of her or yeah i think that yeah i don't think it was like a huge symbol but i think it was like cyclical like the moon she and she was associated with cycles like the cycle of sin and purification mm-hmm and um, I'm guessing also, like, her cycle between the four different, like, identities of the quadripartite. 
um, because it was like it's from a young age to an old age. So I believe there must have been some sort of like cycle traveling through that. It's interesting that she's like a, I don't know what you call it, a quadripartite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, you see a lot of groups of three, but yeah. I don't think we've seen a group of four or like not a quadruple goddess. Like we've seen triple goddesses. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Um, yeah. And it's interesting that she's like, there's like the young and then there's the youngest. So it's like keeps going. That is interesting. Like, what's the difference between young and youngest? Yeah. And I think that's just interesting, like how um, the Aztecs must have, must have viewed stages of life. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I'm, I don't really know. I think I like didn't look into it enough to like really say anything like definitive about it. But I do think it's interesting. Yeah. So you mentioned that she has kids. Does she also have, like, a husband? So I think she's... A, so it's said in one of my readings that she's sometimes said to be the wife of Huitzilopochtli. Um, oh, I thought I thought you mentioned that he was her son, but maybe he's I both. wrong. He's both. Oh. He's sometimes okay. her son or her husband. It's sort of like, remember, Hathor, she was, like, either... Yes. The, she was both the mother and the wife. It was um, all about... The cycle, yeah. Yeah, all about the cycle. So I think it's a similar idea. One thing you said um, really stuck out to me, and it was about how we she seems a little hard to pin down, and um, there's not really a sort of like an, another equivalent we can think of to her as like mm-hmm. a different yeah. goddess. And this is um, that made me think of something in my notes where I talked about um, the colonial impact of the view of Tlatelolco. Which is oh. from an article I read called The Colonial Image of Tlatzotulfa by Catherine R. de Cesare. So basically, when Christian invaders came into the Aztec Empire, they did not know what to make of Tlatzotulfa. Or actually most of the Aztec traditions, gods, and festivals. And so they often oversimplified them by trying to directly associate them with Christian festivals or figures. And so specifically with Tlatzotulfa, they tried to disrupt the image and understanding of her um, through treating her various aspects as distinct separate goddesses, going by her different epithets, which um, include Tosi, which is our grandmother, Tete Oinan, which means mother of the gods, and then, of course, Tlatzotiotla, who is the main aspect that we see of her. So Tosi and Tete Oinan were generally viewed as positive, but Tlatzotiotla was viewed as entirely negative. Um, because and, of the sin association? Yes. So basically, um, Tosi was viewed as like a sort of grandmother figure, um, and then she as sort of like a mother of the gods figure. She was associated with the Roman goddess Sibylle and the Virgin Mary and St. Anne, who was the grandmother of Jesus. And then... Um, I'm guessing Teto Inan was also associated with similar goddesses. Meanwhile, Tlatzotiotla was associated with Eve and all sinful fallen women of the Bible due to her associations with illicit sexual activities. And That makes sense. Yeah. And so basically their attempts to separate um, the Tosi and Teto Inan from their perceived negative aspects of Tlatzotiotla was in order to... For- fit her better into a neat Christian black and white good versus bad worldview because they didn't like to have to reconcile both the good and bad aspects of her together. Um, But it's clear, however, from depictions in art and ritual that these three different aspects are inseparable from each other. 
they're not necessarily one fixed persona, but they're like a group of entities or spirits closely associated with the same figurehead and they're most easily identifiable through depictions in art. So like in art, they're all depicted in very similar ways. It's clear that this is like the same idea and the same figure. Like they're not separate from each other the way that the Christian invaders tried to um, depict them as separate from. And so due to this, um, so during this time, her aspects as the goddess of filth were emphasized and exaggerated beyond the reality of how she was viewed she was only seen as the goddess of impurities and dirtiness and no other things. So, like, all in all, she made Christian colonizers very uncomfortable, which, good for her. And their views were, of course, completely contrary to the actual concepts surrounding her. In actuality, her associations with filth and impurity were exactly what gave her the power to comp dangerous and corrupting forces of filth and impurity. Through her connections, she was able to balance these forces within an individual. So, like, her quote-unquote good aspects were ne needed her quote-unquote bad aspects in order to exist like they were all combined together in the same figure they were all existing together and I found it interesting because in our love goddesses episode we talked about how sometimes colonizing forces would take away certain associations of goddesses and just focus on their more tame and role-fulfilling aspects as goddesses of love and fertility and or other aspects such as war and death etc and we see this here, but in a slightly different way. We see Tlatzotzilfla being severed from herself in order to fit a narrow Christian worldview. So to call her just a goddess of love and fertility would be limiting and inaccurate, but to call her only a goddess of filth and lust and sinfulness would also be inaccurate and vilifying. She defies categorization and she's incredibly powerful. I think what's important is basically that the Aztecs existed outside of the sort of dualistic black and white good versus evil morality that has been imposed on a lot of Western society due to Christian influence. Mm -hmm. So, and Tlatzotiotla and so many figures from so many non-Christian religions exist completely outside of that simplistic categorization. And so I think that's how she's able to exist the way she is. Um, being both the goddess of like sinfulness, the goddess who like encourages sin, but also the goddess who purifies sin, because those things being opposite is part of a different worldview than the than the Aztecs probably had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so those are my thoughts. I think she sounds very cool and really interesting and different than most of what we hear about. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So thank you, Zoe, for today's episode, and thank you for listening. Please feel free to subscribe and listen to our other episodes, and we'll see you in two weeks. All right, thank you so much. May the Ladies Podcast is produced by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. Today's episode was researched and presented by Zoe Kenninger. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MythoLadies, and visit us on our website at MythoLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Kaya. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thanks for listening. See you next week.